Coming up on Studios America, Drew Holden explains why the political views of a pilot on a plane that you weren't on don't freaking matter. Bill Maher's latest comments once again leave me wondering why the hell hasn't the left tried to cancel him yet? And tomorrow's elections are going to tell us a lot about where the country is heading. So let's brace for the worst, but hope for the best as we do your election preview. Stu does America. Just uh, looking back at Virginia 2020, looks like it was a 10 point win for Joe Biden in Virginia. Virginia is a plus 10 state for Joe Biden. The Democrats should win Virginia. There was a time where Virginia was sort of a purplish state. Sometimes Republicans would even win there. I mean, relatively recently, I think 2009. But then again, it's really, when you look at the election, uh, the typical election in Virginia, it's maybe bluish with a, with a hint of purple. This is the type of thing where Republicans aren't really all that competitive every time and Democrats can usually win. I mean, look, they've got a guy in blackface and, you know, they're still somehow competitive in this race. Now, uh, Terry McAuliffe is going up against Glenn Youngkin. Youngkin has walked an interesting line here because as Republicans in the Trump era have struggled mightily with, what do you do with the Donald Trump factor? Obviously, Trump brings huge um, passion and energy uh, to uh, one segment of the population. But as we've seen, at times he pisses off a whole nother group of people. How do you walk that line? And Youngkin's tried to do that, I think, fairly well. He hasn't gone full MAGA, Matt Gates type of uh, type of direction, but he also hasn't gone like Adam Kinzinger uh, anti-Trump either. So he's been walking that line, hoping to keep the Trump voters on board, but also to recapture some of the suburban women and others that have fallen away during the Trump era from the Republican Party. Where does the race stand right now? Well, here's the last five polls over the past few days. We have McAuliffe plus one, Youngkin plus three, McAuliffe plus one, Youngkin plus two, and Youngkin plus two. I mean, you want to talk about a toss-up. It really is a toss-up. There's been other polls that have been wider margins. There's the one Fox News poll that had Youngkin up by eight. But there are a lot of complicating factors here. First of all, early voting is something that you need to take into account. Early voting started in Virginia on September 17th, which seems like another decade from where we are now. That was 11 days before Terry McAuliffe even said his famous comment or infamous comment about wanting teachers uh, not to be in, uh, excuse me, not wanting uh, parents to be involved in their kids' education. One of the teachers to do it all. Now, back then, he was in an environment where he was up by about five points. So lots of votes were cast in that environment. But we've seen a, a switch. We've seen the polling come down quite a bit. And now we can even see it in the uh, overall uh, prediction markets. Uh, this is from Predicted here. And you see back on October 2nd, McAuliffe had an 80 percent chance to win this election, according to the um, uh, uh, prediction markets. That has dropped now to about 48 percent. Uh, and that is now uh, he's the underdog, which is incredible to say. I mean, Terry McAuliffe is the underdog in a state that he was previously the governor in a blue state, which is a 10 point Biden state. Youngkin now leads in the polls by a, a, a sliver and also seems to be winning uh, as far as the prediction markets where you can go and put your money where your mouth is. 
Our friend at Blaze TV, Rob Eno, he pointed out that this race looks a lot like the Scott Brown race in Massachusetts in 2010. If you remember the messaging of that uh, of that race, Coakley kind of brought it to to uh, to the Massachusetts voter and said, if you elect Scott Brown, uh, he's going to stop Obamacare. And Brown was like, yeah, if you elect me, I will stop Obamacare. And it wound up being a winning message for Scott Brown. Of course, he didn't actually stop Obamacare, but that's a totally different thing. Terry McAuliffe, uh, this election has been saying like, look, Youngkin thinks parents should have a say about what's taught in our schools. Do you believe that? And Youngkin's like, yeah, parents do deserve a say in what's taught at their kids' schools. They're kind of agreeing on what the message is in a lot of sense. I mean, McAuliffe has gone the desperation meter on Terry McAuliffe. He's just jacking it up. He's doing stunts. He's calling Youngkin, who is vaccinated, an anti-vaxxer. I don't, I, I don't even know how that works. So how is this going to play out? Is it going to work for Glenn Youngkin? Look, I think he's got a real shot. McAuliffe should really sleepwalk to being elected in Virginia at this point, but he is a legitimately terrible candidate. The exact type of person you don't want as your candidate right now. A guy of the establishment who's who who kind of, you know, he's made millions and millions of dollars off of politics. He's constantly downplaying and, and, and tossing aside the issues that average voters care about. And Youngkin has been a pretty good candidate. Most importantly, Biden is doing a really, really bad job, which changes the environment of an election. This is really a, a toss up at this point. There are arguments on the side that McAuliffe could could hold on to a very short election, but the momentum is really on Youngkin's side. We'll have more on this uh, tomorrow. There's also an election in New Jersey. In New Jersey, the governor, uh, Phil Murphy, is running again. He's a Democrat. He's up against uh, Republican Jack Citarelli. And, you know, we've hammered Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo was awful.com, by the way. Get your mugs. Get your mugs for his mug shot. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. Uh, we've hammered Andrew Cuomo for his awful, awful and just terrible performance in New York when it comes to COVID. They are at a rate of 2,929 deaths per million, which is you know very high when you compare it to the other states. However, Phil Murphy in New Jersey is at 3,149 per million. Higher, it's a lot higher than even Andrew Cuomo's rate. And he somehow generated the unmitigated gall to even file for re-election. What more, uh, you, you know, honestly, could you possibly do than, I mean, is he trying to just lose? <laughs> what, what, how, what would you have to do to try to lose more than what Phil Murphy has done? He's killed like a bunch of his constituents. That usually should be enough to lose. Of course, this is a Biden plus 16 state. So anything other than a blowout for Murphy is really a failure for Murphy. Some polls have this relatively close. Uh, one has it within four points. But I honestly would expect Murphy to hold on, which is an incredible thing to say after the job he's done over the past couple years. Um, maybe something in this, the high single digits. I think it's going to be closer than 16 points, that's for sure. Uh, but I don't know that the Re Republican is going to be able to pull it off. Um, in New York, we have a Curtis Sliwa, the Republican, going up against Eric Adams, the Democrat. And the real contest here, as probably most people know, was in the Democratic primary. Once that got settled, it's going to be really tough for a Republican to win uh, in New York. Uh, polls are showing a big lead for Eric Adams there. In Boston, you got an, an interesting competition. It looks like an Elizabeth Warren clone is going to be the next mayor of Boston. In Seattle, it looks like uh, the crazy Bernie flavored candidate is going to lose to the normal crazy 
run-of-the-mill Democratic candidate. In Buffalo, the Democratic mayor lost to a socialist in the primary. So just, this is a weird freaking time, man. So the Democratic mayor loses to a Democratic socialist in the primary, like some activist. Then the Democratic mayor is like, I can't believe I lost to a socialist. How am I losing to this, this person? So the Democratic, the normal Democratic mayor decided to try to make the ballot as an independent. That didn't work. So now he's trying to run as a write-in candidate against the Democratic Socialist. There's no Republican running. So your two options are basically the Democratic Socialist or writing in the mayor, uh, the former mayor, or the current mayor, I guess, that wants to run for re-election. It's very confusing. But what's going on now is the Democratic Socialist is so completely insane that Republicans are actually advocating for the normal Democratic mayor and uh, encouraging people to write in votes in Buffalo. In Minneapolis, they are voting on whether to defund the police. This is a fascinating one because you remember, first of all, they said they were going to do it. Then they sort of reversed themselves. Now there's a vote in front of, of the city. And basically, it's a proposal that has almost no details at all. It just basically says, like, should we try something really crazy and we'll tell you later what it is. Vote yes or no. If the negative one trillion degree temperatures weren't enough to get you to move from Minneapolis, site, by the way, of the greatest football game ever played, then maybe defunding the police finally will get you to move. Um, a lot of attention has been placed on southern states supposedly restricting voting rights to help Republicans. Most of this, as you know, and we've covered here widely, has completely overblown. But the opposite is happening in blue states. In New York, Proposal 3 is an attempt to remove the requirement of registering to vote 10 days before an election. Now, look, you you can't register a week and a half before the election. Is that really that too much to ask? If you haven't put in any thought into the purpose of actually getting registered to the point where you're like, ah, gosh, it's only four days before the election. I should think about going down and getting registered. Should you vote? Really? Should you? I am on board with not making it impossible for people to vote. I don't care if we lose all the elections from now to the end of time. People should have the right to vote, even if they pick as poorly as they're going to in many of the elections we just discussed. But really, a week and a half? Is that so insane? We can't expect our citizens to show up 10 days before an election just to get registered? I mean, early voting would be like mostly over by the time you had to be registered to vote. And that's with the current rules. OK, now, in case you were wondering what governments would do when they legalize marijuana, Colorado is also voting tomorrow. They're voting on whether they should raise taxes on marijuana by a third. Maine is voting on the right to produce and consume food, which seems like something that you should be able to do. It gives you an interesting window where the battlefield of rights is being fought currently. This is the actual text. Do you favor amending the Constitution of Maine to declare that all individuals have a natural, inherent, and unalienable right to grow, raise, harvest, produce, and consume the food of their own choosing for their own nourishment, sustenance, bodily health, and well-being? I mean, wow. Are you calling me fat, Maine? Is that what you're doing? I feel like they should include a right to drive through a lane pick up sustenance from a sweaty 18-year-old through a window. You do that, and I am fully on board. How bizarre is it that we have to have statements to say that we can eat? 
Texas is voting as well tomorrow. They will vote on whether the government can limit religious services, obviously reacting to the COVID restrictions seen across the nations. This is known as Texas Proposition 3 and also the First Amendment. And in the most Texas-y thing ever attempted, Texas will attempt to legalize charitable raffles at rodeo venues because... If you can't have charitable raffles at rodeo venues, what the hell kind of state are you? Thank you, Texas, for taking the lead. So what is the big thing we'll actually learn from tomorrow? All these details aside, what's the big thing? Question really is, how is America reacting to the Biden presidency generally? And more specifically, how does America react to the big ticket items of the last year? You know, CRT in schools, trillions in new spending, uh, teachers unions, inflation, the border crisis, the cataclysmic exit out of Afghanistan. What this tells us is where the environment is. Who's the home team? If you happen to be, and I know you wouldn't do these types of things, but if you happen to be the type of person who might occasionally place a wager on a sporting event, you know that, like for example, in the NFL, if you're a home team, you get about three extra points on the line from a neutral field. So if two teams are equally matched, they might be a, a pick em, an even line. But if, the te- if that game moves to one of the team's uh, home field, that team would be favored by three points. It's kind of how it works in football. In Virginia, neutral field for uh, neutral field games might be something like the Democrats plus six or seven. In a normal, neutral political environment, the Democrats would be expected to win a race in Virginia because of the fundamentals of the state by about six or seven points. In 2020, the environment produced a home game for the Democrats, and they won the state relatively easily by about 10 points. But in 2021, the environment seems to be producing a home game for Republicans. That's enough to make it close. Just the general environment being good for Republicans is enough to make this election close in Virginia. But normally, it's probably not enough for a Republican to pull off the win. The question is, is the home field advantage so big this time? Because this time, the crowd is so loud, it can put the Republicans over the edge in Virginia. If it does, and we see a similar pattern in other states, like New Jersey getting uncomfortably close for Democrats, then you will see Democrats freak out. A big win in Virginia will do more than end Terry McAuliffe's career as a candidate, which would be enough, honestly, it will have half the party sprinting away from things like CRT. There are two recently elected Democratic senators in red or purple states that are up for election again next year, Warnock in Georgia and Kelly in Arizona. Now, Warnock is ideological enough to stick with, you know, whatever level of crazy the government can provide. He's going to be there no matter what. But Kelly could be in serious trouble as well and and might be freaking out because of this. How about Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire? She is up for re-election in a purplish state, and she's never really said a thing about her position on spending trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Will she suddenly find a problem with the bill if Virginia voters send a massive and clear message that we don't want this? We've seen the inflation. Stop spending trillions of dollars. Democrats have real opportunities to pick up Senate states in 2022 in Washington, excuse me, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania and North Carolina, but they can't do it in an environment where Republicans are winning in Virginia. If that environment exists, they will lose all of those seats, barring some sort of democratic miracle. There's so much at stake, and the election is only one day away. But perhaps most crucially, Terry McAuliffe is really annoying. It will be so enjoyable to watch him lose. So Virginia, and I I, I say this from my heart, 
please get it done. Do it for America. But more importantly, do it for me. So when America looks like it's just going to hell in a handbasket, the question is always from our leaders, where are you going to go? It's America. Where where are you going to go? And that's what they say all the time when they raise your taxes, when they destroy the value of your dollar, uh, when inflation goes through the roof. Where are you going to go? Well, I got something for you to look into. How about Panama? A lot of American retirees and veterans are going to Panama. Why? Well, let me give you a few reasons, even if it's just a vacation home, because you got to think about this. You can live in luxury for $24,000 a year. You could pay 0% income tax. Uh, your health care could be as little as $2,600 a year. You can also own a luxury beachfront condo on a pristine, you know, you've, I mean, you know the beaches of Panama, they're pretty spectacular, for uh, $120,000. Now, Panama's known as one of the world's number one uh, wealth protection haven. So you need to look into this a little bit. If this is something that's interesting to you, there's a lot of information out there. You've got to go through it. got to do your own homework. You can check out the American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama from International Living. It's 100% free for uh, uh, the show uh, that you're watching right now and our wonderful audience. Uh, by, uh, if you head over to buypanama.com slash stew, you can get your copy today. Buypanama.com. Dot, excuse me, buypanamanow.com slash do, buypanamanow.com slash do. You can sign up now to claim your free series on investing in Panama's Pacific Riviera today. Buypanamanow.com slash stew. So happy to welcome back to the program Drew Holden, freelance commentary writer and the arbiter of truth on Twitter <laughs> through his Drew Holden 360 account. Drew, how's it going? Stu, uh, pleasure to be back with you, sir. It's it's going well. It's going well. Uh, you look like a new man. I mean, the, the, I, what what's going on here? So I shave twice a year, uh, and one of those every year is is for Halloween. So yeah, I am I am babyface. This is what my face that I really don't allow anyone on on the internet or otherwise to see. It's. It's regrettably what it looks like. It'll be here with us for another week or so before the beard is uh, mostly back. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's go into uh, the Virginia uh, race here for a second. We were just talking about it. What to expect? Do you have a what, what's your ten thousand foot take on what we're going to see tomorrow in Virginia? Yeah, you know, so so it's interesting too. I think up until the last couple of weeks, I would have said, you know, what we're probably going to see is. A narrow McAuliffe victory, Democrats learning absolutely nothing about why maybe this isn't the type of candidate you should be running these days, and Republicans coming really close, but ultimately not coming up for anything. But i, I got to be honest, looking at the polls and I think that the, the conversation of the last couple of weeks, um, it, it's starting to feel to me like maybe the McAuliffe campaign has found a way to kind of unforced error their way out of victory on this one. <laughs> uh, and, and so I think we've seen it, this happen on a number of different, I think, really important issues that they have just they have just foot faulted in ways that don't make any sense. Uh, and I think we've seen a lot of we th I think we've seen that have a lot of salience and a lot of staying power. And you're seeing it in the polls on issues like education. Uh, you're seeing it in the polls among the, the voting habits of parents or likely voters that all of these headwinds seem to really be pushing against the McAuliffe campaign. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I I think I'm in the exact same boat you're in, in, in that I thought maybe they can keep this close. And even keeping it close, I think, is sending a pretty, pretty vivid <laughs> signal uh, to the Democratic Party. But just watching the behavior 
of the McAuliffe campaign over the past couple of weeks, this level of desperation seems so yeah. high. They have to have internal polling that is terrifying them right now. I agreed. And so I think the, the best case of that was the Lincoln Project. Lincoln Project stunt from over the weekend, right, where you have this, you've got a, a white supremacist hoax, where you've got a, a number of, of people carrying tiki torches, they're supposed to be proud boys, but one of them's a woman, they're supposed to be white supremacists, and they're not all white. I mean, it's, it, it, it didn't exactly pass the sniff test when it first happened. But yeah. there were a group of people, I think it was still an open question of who those people are. But there were a group of people who were trying to say that McAuliffe is in bed with you know the worst elements of our body politic. Uh, and you know, if that had just kind of come to pass and very quickly someone took credit for it and said, ah, oh, you know, like this is we're trying we're doing this to make a point and it's satire or whatever, then that that would be one thing. Right. But um, there were two different people on Terry McAuliffe's campaign team who tweeted about uh, how this was an indictment of Youngkin. One of them actually a, a comms person on his team said that this is disqualifying that these people had shown up supposedly uh, for, for Youngkin was disqualifying. His, uh, his his the, the campaign manager for the McCall team also tweeted it out. Both of those tweets have been deleted. There have been a lot of tweets, uh, let me tell you, that have been deleted about this, uh, this, this mini scandal. And it does, it really does just seem like they are, even if they're not pushing these sorts of things that really reek of desperation, the fact that they're grasping at these types of straws that very obviously don't pass the sniff test really does make me think that the internal polling isn't looking good. And given the given what has been the focus of the campaign for the last couple of months, that isn't surprising to me. I, I, I would not be at all surprised if they do have some really bad polling that, that they're kind of staring at every morning. I mean, and you know that, you know, with the comments that McAuliffe has made on education, I mean, this angered parents across the spectrum, left, right, everybody. Um, that that yeah. take on education that basically parents shouldn't be involved in it is not just a conservative principle. I mean, every parent I know right. wants some involvement in their kids' schooling. Right. And, and Stu, I think what kills me, too, is... After the last 18 months that we've had, even setting aside the issues around bathroom access, even setting around the issues about these kind of woke curriculum and the teaching of critical race theory, what have you, it, it really does, I think, kind of epitomize to me who Terry McAuliffe is, that this is the this is his closing argument, right? This is the angle he's going in with is the idea that government bureaucrats should have more of a say over what your kids learn and you parents you need to take your role and and, and kind of go to the back right and it's i think this is why I, I keep thinking like how could this campaign possibly be doing this look at the guy you've got right you, you, you're stuck with the girl that you brought into the dance on this one and it's someone who has spent 40 years going through the revolving door of politics and influence peddling as a lobbyist he's someone who has made an enormous amount of money as a lobbyist in many cases, representing moneyed interests that voters do not have an interest in. And so I, it just it really does stun me that what they would go in with is, you know what, actually, voters, parents, I know the last 18 months has been hard on you where you had to be a part time teacher for your kids at home. Uh, but actually, the, the last thing I want you to take away before we go on an election day is that uh, really you need to, to just be quiet if you've got concerns about what your kids are learning. It's it's it, like. It is if the Republican Party could run kind of an oppo fake candidate, I don't know what they would be doing all that different here over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> good. It really is that dramatically terrible. I mean, mm -hmm. he really should he should sleepwalk to the, to a win in Virginia. And uh, he mm -hmm. seems to be doing everything he can 
to give this thing away. Let me let me switch yeah. it out to Yunkin for a second, because I think there's there's an interesting thing going on with him in that we've yeah. sort of seen two approaches to trying to win in the Trump era as a Republican. You know, the Matt right. Gates approach uh, and the Adam Kinzinger approach. Right. Say Trump is great. Every every single thing he does say Trump is terrible for every single thing he does. Youngkin seems to be able or has been able to walk that line where he hasn't tossed away all the sort of populist and nationalist sort of interests that have been, you know, part of whatever new right, right this is. But on the other side, uh, hasn't uh, hasn't aligned himself so closely with the Trump Trumpist sort of side that it pisses off suburban women and, and the people mm-hmm. in the middle who might just see McAuliffe as a bad candidate. Uh, what can we right. learn from Youngkin's run here? So you make a really good point. I think the biggest takeaway from Republicans for all of this should be, look, uh, we get it. Donald Trump eats up a lot of the oxygen in the room around elections, but you can run a winning race by tapping into the issues that matter to people. Right. And what to me, I think the reason why a lot of candidates have been hit really hard about not being Trump supportive enough, um, you know, some of those are, are inescapable. Right. There's a lot of people who just really like President Trump. But I think a big part of it, too, is it's really easy for a politician to appear out of touch. Uh, and that one of the things that I think Youngkin has done incredibly effectively is he's pinpointed the issues that really do matter to people, right? Like if you're if you're looking at the price of gas, if you're looking at, you know, if you're watching over your shoulder or your kid's shoulder, what they're learning in a classroom, and it doesn't make any sense to you, and it seems divisive and problematic, those are the sorts of real world issues that maybe wouldn't matter to your kind of lock stock politician of the '90s and the early aughts, but really matter to people, right? And so I think you make a good point. You talk about this kind of nationalist, populist thing. If you're tapping into those sort of energies and that really genuine, real discontent, sure, among conservatives, but among plenty of independents and Democrats, too, that there's something here that isn't good uh, and, and can be fixed. If you're tapping into those things, then you don't have to either hug Trump super, super close the way someone like Matt Gates does. But you also don't have to be this kind of MSNBC talking head of everything that's wrong in the world. It's all going to be Trump's fault. And for me, that's that's that should be a really good lesson, even if Youngkin doesn't pull out the victory. Right. Even if the polling doesn't hold, that should be a really good lesson for a lot of Republicans those in frontline districts, those in swing districts, those in the suburbs, to be able to follow that, hey, you got to be tapped into this stuff. It matters to voters, but you have to be something other than Donald Trump. And that that should be a relief for you in a lot of ways. Uh, it really is. There's something there's something there. And it should be. I mean, look, I guess it's just running as yourself, right? Like, under, you know, being honest to who <laughs> you are is a, is a interesting a line of advice to politicians. Maybe they should consider it occasionally. Um, let me, uh, one more thing on this. If, if let's just say Youngkin wins uh, tomorrow, he's able to squeak out a victory, um, or maybe even four or five points. Is there a level of defeat uh, that actually turns the tide with the people in the Senate right now? Where we look at, we're looking at these, you know, two, $2 trillion bill they want to pass. Is there something that like scares a Maggie Hassan out of, you know, going along with this? Because, you know, if you're in a purple state and you're running in 2022, you have to see where this environment is. It's a good question, Stu. I think there should be. <laughs> yeah, I, I think okay. there should be. Right. My, my worry is I'm going to say yes under the assumption that that there are politicians who are tapped into what's happening enough to know where the winds are blowing. And I think a lot of politicians over the last decade or so have proven really, really bad at those things. Um, I think that there will be momentum coming out of it for some more conservative Democrats uh, and, and certainly some more liberal Republicans to hold the line on some of the stuff. I, I think that's right. I think that's accurate um, because there's I, I think people will be able to see this. People of good faith will be able to see this and say, 
huh, maybe this is actually emblematic, right? You, you know, we, there's been a lot of a, a lot of discussion about some areas of Virginia that really do mirror the country really well, where uh, in terms like even if the even if the income is kind of skewed, that there are a lot of trends in Virginia where you have this kind of this move out to the suburbs and you have them, them becoming a little bit bluer as the incomes rise, uh, but that they have about a national level of diversity and that these are these are kind of good bellwether areas. So I think there will be people who take that message. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I, I can't help but think that at a higher level among the Democratic Party, there probably won't actually be much recognition if mm. Youngkin is able to, to pull out the victory because they're already lining up some of the excuses now, right? You hear people going on CNN and MSNBC and they're talking about how unique Virginia is. And yeah, well, they had this they had this super specific case in some of their schools. And so it's not really emblematic of what's happening across the country. And so I think if you were, uh, I think it takes a lot for a politician and particularly a political party to look at something and say, oh no, our talking points aren't resonating. And I don't think even a, even a, a you know, a, a beating for McAuliffe would actually get that point across to the National Democrats. But I am hopeful that at least some people close to the middle will see that and see it as a red flag that, hey, maybe this thing that we're selling isn't actually resonating with the voters nine or 10 months in. <laughs> it's really amazing. And I kind of expect the same. The, the, the excuse making is already being done, which which does give yes. you a preview. Um, uh, right. Before we leave, we have a couple more minutes here with you, Drew. Um, th- this story on the Southwest airline uh, where the captain comes on and he, he, the pilot comes on and he says, hey, look, you know, uh, you know, let's go Brandon at the end of his little message there. This is being treated as if, first of all, uh, it's it's a it's a major controversy because one pilot said a, a supportive statement for Republicans are denigrating the president. Right. And on the other side, it seems to be almost like a threat to human life. Can you mm-hmm. uh, can you crystallize this story at all? Uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting. There's actually another detail I think that came out this maybe a, an hour or two ago that maybe the pilot. So New York Post, I think, got the audio and it's not actually clear that the pilot had said, let's go, Brandon. He might have been saying, let's go Braves. So mm. there's, there's an open question of whether or not it even happened. But so putting that aside for a second and assuming that it happened. So, yeah, at the end of his sign off, a pilot on the Southwest Airlines reportedly said, let's go, Brandon, a reference, of course, to a slightly more vulgar anti-Joe Biden sentiment. And it has really kicked off this unbelievable firestorm. And for me, there's two things that, that I pull out that are that are fascinating and interesting beyond the fact that everyone might have already fallen for a hoax, right? We might be having this conversation about something that never happened in the first place. Uh, Setting that to the side, I think first, um, it's really stunning to me, I think, and I would imagine very stunning to any conservative that a corporate entity making a statement that could be taken as political is uh, not just jaw-dropping, but a a threat to human life, the way that some of the the liberal blue checks seem to be responding to this. Because for the last 18 months, conservatives have endured everywhere from where we buy our, our food, our groceries, our gas and electricity, you name it, every corporate entity has leaned in pretty heavily to politics, right? And we, we've seen these changes. And it, for me, it's a little bit like, you know, when a when a, a musician or a, a, an actor comes out and they're Republican and you see this big, you know, this big energy among liberals. And I'm not going to listen to his music anymore. I'm not. I'm not going to watch any of his movies. And conservatives are like, well, gee, if I did that, I, I just I simply wouldn't be able to listen to music uh, or, or go to the movies. Right. If I boycotted every organization that has political views I don't agree with, I, I would be a hermit. I would have to live in the woods. I wouldn't actually be able to take part in our society. And so it's kind of funny to see the, the brouhaha about the whole thing. But then part of it, too, is 
have we forgotten so quickly among these people, right? And I do think a lot of it is there's some nut picking here where it's just a handful of crazy people on the internet who are really kind of jacking the story out of proportion. But have we, does anyone remember Kathy Griffin? Like, does anyone, the LA, LA Magazine had a deep dive story about how people, artists were coming together for an F Donald Trump full expletive, right? This is no let's go Brandon kind of wink and nod. We, when Trump first got elected, there was wall-to-wall swearing everywhere about him at yeah. the Academy Awards, at the red carpet, in national magazines, uh, on CNN and MSNBC, everywhere. It was everywhere. Like, and, and we just kind of had to suck it up. And for, for so many people who took part in that activity to now go full, like, you cannot laugh at the emperor mode, <laughs> as soon as there's this, like, lighthearted jab about it, uh, it is jarring. And to be honest with you, it's a little concerning, right? Because if we're going to live in a free and open society, you got to be able to mock and make fun of the people in charge. And if you lose the ability to do that, we're creeping in a direction that I don't think any of us want to go in. Yeah, uh, the left seems to love that criticism every four to eight years. They seem to turn it on and yeah. off. It's such a weird yeah. thing. And I am still yet to come to the understanding of how the pilot was going to kill only the Democrats on his plane when he crashed it and somehow save the Republicans. I don't understand how it's a threat to human life. It's a totally- right, because that, that's that's truly what people were saying is that I would never, I wouldn't fly an airplane yeah. with someone who believed that. And that's like, if that's how you actually see your your political opponents, maybe like the, the, log out, get off of the internet, like, like yeah. spend some time off of Twitter because they're probably all around you in your everyday life uh, and they're real normal humans too. Yeah, this is how capitalism solves these problems, right? It lets you yes. work with people you absolutely hate to get things done in your normal life. That's the brilliance of it. Uh, yeah. Drew Holden, we'll leave it there. Uh, freelance commentary writer, Drew Holden. Uh, be sure to follow him at uh, Drew Holden 360 if you want to keep up with what's really going on in the world. Drew, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Stu, pleasure's mine. Love you on. Let me ask you a question, a direct question. How is this show still on the air? And surprisingly, I'm not asking that question about this show. This one I know. I mean, I'm contractually obligated to do it, so it has to be on the air. But I'm talking about Bill Maher. Now, he may also be contractually obligated. In fact, I think he just got an extension. How is this possible? I want to give you a little insight as to what happened this past weekend on The Bill Maher Show. These are things that you are absolutely not allowed to say. I'm not sure what the latest Dr. Fauci thing was on Halloween. He's changed his mind a lot, but I think it was go and do it. I hope so, because it certainly has been my position since the beginning of this. Just resume living. Uh, you know, I mean, come on, the, the, the 15 of 100,000, that's where we are cases in California, 15 cases per 100,000 people. I know some people seem to not want to give up on the wonderful pandemic, but you know what? <laughs> it's over. There's always going to be a variance. You shouldn't have to wear masks. I should be able, I haven't had a meeting with my staff since March of 2020. Why? Vaccine, mask, pick one. You got to pick. You can't make me mask if I've had the vaccine. What? <laughs> what is happening? That sounds like this show. And the crazy thing is, did you hear the crowd? The crowd when he said the pandemic is over, which we've done a show, I believe, that was called almost exactly that <laughs> the end of the pandemic or something where we said just that once you have an opportunity to take the vaccine, 
it's over. People can choose whether they want to take the risk or not. They can choose whether they want to choose the risk of whatever they perceive as the risk of the vaccine or whatever they perceive the risk of COVID is. However, they get to make that decision. At that point, clearly it's over. Now, we've argued against restrictions this entire time, but at that point, there's no more argument for them. Here's Bill Maher saying exactly the same thing. And then the crowd is cheering. This is like, I feel like I'm in another world. This is not on, you know, The Blaze. This is on HBO. It's incredible. And I think people all across the country are feeling this. They're feeling that they are just done with this stuff. We talk about these restrictions working or not working. You can't even tell if they're working or not working anymore because no one's paying attention to them. I've been in multiple places with all sorts of mandates over the past couple of weeks. And there, maybe you'd see with full mandates, 50% mask usage. There's just, it's just not even a thing anymore. And we waste a lot of time talking about it because it is over. Here's more from Bill Maher. Because it's the Democrats who seem to be, I mean, I travel in every state now back on, back on the road and the red states are a joy and the blue states are a pain in the ass <laughs> for no reason. Just a little messaging. I mean, I see it all the time. I saw it driving in today. People outside alone walking with a mask. It's so stupid. It's, it's, it's an amulet. Yes. You know, yes. Some, a charm yes. people a wear scapula. around neck yes. to ward away evil exactly. spirits. It means nothing. I mean, can't we get people to understand the facts more? That really is all it is about at this point. You know, we see the, so much of this is just signaling and, and, and nonsense. You know, never from day one was there ever a moment, a second that wearing a mask outside by yourself made any sense. It never occurred. There was never a time, It was not even in May, April, March of 2020, never a time where that ever made any sense whatsoever. Yet people continue to do it today. I think just largely to signal to everyone else that they, uh, they believe in science or whatever it is. Well, that's, it's showing the opposite, quite frankly. Back in a second. Built Bar is your best friend. They love you at Built Bar. They've decided to make delicious protein bars uh, that you actually want to eat. If you want a snack during the day, pick up a mint brownie. How about uh, double chocolate? Maybe a salted caramel. Want to replace that? Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not going to eat a full breakfast today. I'm going to just eat something that's going to satisfy my needs. I'm going to pick up a cookies and cream. There's nine regular flavors of Built Bars, and they rotate out new innovative ones on top of that all the time. 180 calories or less, 18 grams of protein, um, four to five grams of sugar uh, and net carbs. You wouldn't know it by tasting them because they taste fantastic, and that's what they care about. They want these things to taste to you like it's a candy bar that you want to eat all the time. On the other side, actually be healthy. Built.com is the place to go. Use promo code STU15 to save 15% off your first order. The promo code is STU15 for 15% off at Built.com, promo code STU15. It's the worst kept secret in all of America. Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, and pretty much every big tech giant CEO they're all flaming progressives. I know, it's a shocker. But how can we know for sure? Well, if you make billions and billions of dollars driving around a Prius covered with your love your neighbor, get vaccinated stickers, it's probably a dead giveaway. But there's also the whole deleting, suspending, anyone daring to disagree with the alphabet soup cabal thing going on as well. That's kind of a tell too. 
All the accidental uh, sort of account suspensions and fake fact checks are really frustrating, but it's not hopeless. Uh, there's something that all of these big tech giants love more than idiot liberal politicians, and that is of money. You got to hand it to them. I mean, for all the equity pimping they, these guys do, they sure are greedy, and I can hold them close to my heart because of that. So we could either, you know, be a LeBron and whine about it all the time, or we could do something. And no one wants to be a LeBron. Never be a LeBron. Never go full LeBron. So that leaves us with B. Do something. Well, that sounds great, Stu, but what can we do? I'm glad you asked, because we are all about solutions here at Stu Does America. Uh, we can take advantage of the leftist greed loophole. They want you using the site. They still want you using the site because they want the money you produce. They don't really want you to leave. They just, you know, they still want to take the profits from you. So here's what you can do to actually get good content on Facebook uh, and, you know, maybe not get deleted, in, at least immediately. The first step is this. Go to my Facebook page, uh, Stuber Gear. Follow me there if you haven't already. And if you are uh, there, hold down the menu button and a top secret menu that Mark Zuckerberg probably forgot about, uh, allows you to mark this program as your favorite. Now, that's going to make sure the content that we do, all the blabbering we do about all these different topics, gets to you, uh, and you don't miss out on it because the algorithm will, you know, just happen to shave off a lot of conservative content. No big deal. Just keep looking. Don't worry. Um, the other thing you can do is just stop relying on their algorithm. You can bookmark the show's page and just go there uh, directly, and that will save you from navigating your way through all of the, you know, millions and millions of cat recipe uh, videos. And I, I mean recipes made by cats, not recipes with cats inside. Because one of them, you make sure you know the difference. One of them is illegal. The other one is just fun. It's just good fun. You never know what a cat's going to put in a recipe. Uh, if the cat is, itself is in the recipe, you could be breaking some local uh, restrictions. And I don't want that to happen to you. Don't go to prison. Just go to the Facebook page. Make us uh, one of your favorites. And uh, you'll actually be able to see the show. Uh, we have a couple comments uh, here. Um, let's put an end to the corporate tax breaks with corporate tax breaks for our pet projects. These people are despicable. <laughs> this is about uh, the show on the spending bill from the Democrats that we talked about last week. And this is what they're doing. They're actually just creating more of the same thing that they're complaining about. Real shocker. You can also listen to the show on podcast whenever you want. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. We do appreciate that. Making me laugh. Love your show. It's not stupid. It's actually very interesting. Great news of the times. And you're funny at times. I like that. I, I like that review at, at times during the review. I liked it. And other times, I was more indifferent. But that's okay. You can always follow us here on uh, the podcast and make sure to give us a glowing five-star review. If you do so, you not only will help this podcast, but you'll hurt others. And that's what's most important. Make sure to subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. You save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. You know how much censorship there is going on out there with big tech. Another great way to uh, solve it is just get a subscription. It's like less than 10 bucks a month. Blazetv.com slash stew. Okay, so here's what happened. There is a, an interesting thing, thing that goes on with Kanye West. And he's been doing this for a while. I once stayed at a hotel above where he was doing this in a venue. And they do this Sunday morning service thing where, like, the music's incredible. I mean, he's, like, the, the most talented musicians out there, and they're singing, and these the chorus stuff was incredible. Of course, it was very early, and I was not, I did not want to get up, I, I will say. But it sounded beautiful. Um, and so they had another one of these this past weekend, and who was there 
But Marilyn freaking Manson. Yes, Marilyn Manson. I mean, this is pretty incredible. Marilyn Manson, in a bit of a tough time in his life, been accused of all sorts of crazy things. And I will say, everyone deserves God, God's grace and forgiveness, and I hope that's the path that Marilyn Manson is on right now. The more power to him if that's what's going on. Um, that would surprise a lot of people. But I, you might want to be, a, I might be a little hesitant uh, bringing someone who actually is singing Antichrist Superstar on stage at his events and then it's a little bit of a, but I'm really glad it's happening.